You're listening to audio from New Horizon Worship Center, located in Waco, Georgia. If you would like additional resources, please visit us online at www.NewHorizonWorshipCenter.org. If you're turning with me, you can go ahead and turn to John 16, 33. got a little surprise for you, but I'm going to wait till I end the message to give it to you. Today, I want to talk to you for a few minutes about being stuck, about getting stuck. Ever run your car off the road and get stuck? It's a bad feeling. Yesterday, we were up here for Azalea's party, and we were all hanging out and stuff, and everybody ended up leaving one by one until there was only a few people left here. And I stayed here to study and go over my notes and prepare for the message today. And I thought no one else was left. And all, I heard the front door open. And Malachi comes walking in my office. Hey, um, Danielle needs our help. If y'all don't know Danielle, it's, she's not here today. I guess she was afraid I was going to tell this story. Because she's been here like every week for a while. <laughs> Danielle is Malachi's girlfriend. So he tells me that she ran the car off in the ditch right out here pulling out of the church parking lot when she was leaving to head home. Could I come out and help? So I said, sure. I get up and walk out there. She ran it off the side of the driveway right here, and the whole back end was sticking up in the air. The back tire was probably a foot off the pavement, just spinning. I'm talking about buried it. So she's freaking out. I'm so sorry. I can't believe I got y'all out here to try to help me out. And she asked Malachi, do I need to call a wrecker or something? And he said, no, we can. She called him and he said, no, I'll get my dad. He's inside the church studying. And she's like, oh, I don't want to bother him. It's no problem. So we went out there and it really didn't turn out to be that big of a deal. We took some straps out of his toolbox. We hooked it to Malachi's truck. He put it in four wheel drive. Truck was on the concrete. I got in her car. Moved her seat way back. I tried to get in her car. Those of you that know her, I couldn't even like. (laughs) So I had to move her seat way back. But I got her keys and got in her car, and she just stood back, like, just kind of freaking out that she had done that and was kept apologizing. And we're like, no, no problem. And it pulled right out. We backed his truck, pulled it out, and then we were worried the front end was going to be damaged because it was like down in the dirt, and it was. The front bumper was like bent up under, but it was plastic. So me and Malachi were able to pop it back out almost all the way. You can't even really tell. It didn't even look bad. And so she thanked us, and she was super grateful. And then she jumped in her car, and she cranks it up. Me and Malachi stood there because we had pulled it straight backwards. So now she's going to have to try again. The same place she just went out, she's got to go back out again. So she puts it in drive and starts like, no joke. It was She was going about this fast. It's about how fast the car was moving. <laughs> Easing down. And she made a beautiful, perfect turn onto the road out there. She was dead in the middle of the driveway. There was an even amount of space on both sides. You probably could have grabbed a tape measure. I mean, she was dead on. Nice and slow and rolled right out. You know what? She learned. She learned from her mistake. <laughs> 
right? She got stuck, but I think we've all probably been stuck. At some point in life where she was at the church and she was headed home and she got stuck somewhere in the middle. And maybe we got a dream or a vision of somewhere we want to go in the future, but we get stuck in the middle. Or, you know, in a race, you start and your goal is the finish line, but sometimes we get stuck in the middle and the ambulance has to get us. That's another story. Have you ever been stuck in the middle? Like you were headed down life's road and life is a highway. I'm going to ride it all night. Bam, a ditch. (laughs) Bam, a divorce. Bam, a death. Bam, a sickness. Bam, injury. Bam. Addiction. Bam. Car wreck. Bam, balam. Whoa. No, never mind. Not that. Bam. You have a wreck. Something unexpected. Lord, I apologize. And Jesse. We all get stuck. That's my point. Everybody gets stuck. You're not special because you ran off in a ditch. I've done it too. And I probably will again. And you understand, I'm not just talking about literally running a vehicle into a ditch. There's all kind of ditches we can get stuck in. So we all get stuck. And Jesus said in John 16, 33, that in this world you'll have tribulation. That you'll have trouble. That's a promise that Jesus made to us. All your promises are yes and amen. Thank you. Hallelujah, God, for your promises. You will have trouble. We don't make bumper stickers and car, like, pins to wear around about that. Jesus said, I'm going to have trouble. Hello, tribulation. Hallelujah. The problem is, not y'all, but some people, they get stuck. And they're trouble. They're problem. When they run into trouble, when they're, when their car's in the ditch, way out in the middle of nowhere. Man, I've been there. A lot of songs are popping in my mind today. But, Some people just stay in the ditch. They stay in the gap in between and they never make it to their final destination. They never make it to where God called them to go. They never make it to be the person that they're supposed to be. They get stuck in the gap. They're stuck in the ditch. And they never get out. They're stuck in the past. They can't move on. Or... Some people get pulled out of the ditch and they run right back in the ditch. And then they get pulled out of the ditch and then they run across the road back in another ditch. Not like Danielle who was very cautious and didn't run back into another ditch. She learned. 
So as I thought and prayed about it and like, God, I don't want to be the kind of person that spends the majority of my life stuck in the middle of where I want to go, in the middle of the next victory. I, want, I, I get hung up on the trial so long that I never get the trophy. How do I keep from getting stuck? How do I learn from my mistakes? How do I move on and let those things teach me and grow me and make me stronger? I want to get something out of it. How do we do that? What did Danielle do? She was super grateful. And then she went super slow. Made that great turn. She learned, but how'd she get out? How'd she get unstuck? Relationship. She could have never got out of that ditch on her own. No way, no how. She called Malachi, who has a great relationship with the Father who has experience, who has not only been in ditches, but he's pulled other people out of ditches as well. Well, it sounds a lot like us as Christians. If we're in relationship with somebody else, other Christians, and we have relationship with the Father who even sent his son to come get stuck in a ditch. Be a man. Be tempted with everything that we're tempted with and then die on a cross. He's been there. He was tempted with everything that we're tempted with. He's had problems. He's felt pain. He's wept. He, he's been in the ditch that you're in. But it takes relationship and calling on them. She could have just sat there and felt sorry for herself and cried and stayed there and camped out in her car or she was in relationship. I know you hear this a lot from me, but you were not created to do life on your own. Never. That was never God's plan. You were created for relationship and community and covenant. You were created as a body. The body of Christ, we're created like a puzzle. We're supposed to fit together. So to walk in purpose, you can't fulfill your purpose alone. It's impossible. You can't go live on a desert island and be all that God's called you to be. Alone. Have you all ever seen the movie Castaway? Raise your hand if you've seen that. Okay, most people in here. Okay, I got kind of nervous because I was thinking about using this as an example in the service today. And then I talked to Joe about it last night. And Joe's like, oh, I had never seen that movie. And I was thinking, great. That movie's a lot older than I thought. So we have a pretty young crowd. Maybe they all haven't seen it. So that's why I had you guys raise your hand. Um, So maybe anybody younger than Joe maybe hadn't seen it. But So if you haven't seen it, in the movie, Tom Hanks is a FedEx worker. And he gets shipwrecked on an island. Right? And he, I'm not going to go through the whole entire movie, but he's shipwrecked on an island and he finds this package with an address on it and that becomes his purpose. 
Like, I'm going to make it off of this island. I'm going to protect this package, and I'm going to deliver it to its rightful owner. I don't know what could be in there. It could be valuable. It could whatever. But that becomes his purpose. But that wasn't enough. He was never going to make it. Do you know you have a purpose? But he needed something else. He needed something so that he wouldn't go crazy. Something to talk to, something that would help him not give up, something that, go watch the movie, helped him not kill himself. He needed relationship bad. Zach, will you come up here for a minute? <laughs> Y'all wonder where I got the idea for this illustration. <laughs> Zach's home from the world race, and it really got me thinking about that movie for some reason. <laughs> All right, so this is Zach, and uh, I know a lot of you helped support him, and you donated some money and stuff for him to go on a year-long missions trip, but actually, I think he was stranded on a desert island <laughs> filming Castaway Part 2. <laughs> okay, so uh, I'm joking, but not really. It did give me the idea. So, so Tom Hanks in the movie, right? And this is, he's just here for visual right now. Um, Tom Hanks in the movie, he made a friend. If any of you have seen the movie, you know, anybody know the name of his friend? What was it? Could you yell that out for us? Wait, wait. Wait, look, I happen to have this. <laughs> Okay, now, this is Wilson. If you haven't seen the movie, Tom Hanks made his little friend out of a volleyball he found, and he named it Wilson because it was a Wilson brand, okay? And he painted it with his blood, but he created it in his image, right, so that he could have a relationship with it. That sounds familiar, God created us in his image so that we could have a relationship with him. And he, he was willing to put some blood in on the deal too. Here, hold this. There you go. <laughs> Heather, please take a picture. He needed relationship. He wouldn't have made it. He would have given up. Now, all jokes aside, and we thought that would be funny and uh, good, but uh, Zach really has been gone for a year on mission, on the world race, it's called, and I thought that was kind of cool. We're going to talk some more about the race, but being in that race of life and being stuck in the middle, you can get stuck in the middle of a race. Right, you can get stuck on some good things, and you can get stuck on bad things, and we got to keep moving and not get stuck. And so I'm just going to ask Zach to talk for a minute about whatever he wants to about the race, because I know a lot of you have been praying for him, and a lot of you help support financially, and a lot of you have text and talked to him throughout the time while he's been gone and stuff, so I know a lot of people would want to hear from him. So... I'm going to let Zach talk for a minute, maybe about something God did in his life or about one of his favorite things that he saw or favorite country he went to or whatever he feels like he wants to share with us for a few minutes. Keep it under 
an hour. Yeah. Time starts now. <laughs> you want me to hold this the whole time? <laughs> um, hey, y'all. Um, I'm super pumped to be back, but also very nervous for this at the same time. Um, so Dusty asked me uh, a couple of days ago, I guess it was, to speak. And I had no idea, like, how do you sum up 11 months into, like, 10 minutes is, was, like, the question I was trying to figure out. And so as he was talking, like, Heather asked me just a while ago, what, what, what are you going to talk about? And I was like, honestly, kind of what he's talking about. Like, creating that relationship and, and, and needing help. And, um, like, honestly, the, the, the time I'm going to talk about, like, with, without the relationships I had, not only with, with, with the Lord but also with my teammates and squad mates and, and just several other people who were messing, messaging me during that time, there's no way I would have made it during that time. Um, but the biggest thing was, was that I learned was um, during that time, was it was in month five in Botswana, and, and I learned a lot about rest. And not only about rest, but also about being humble. And being humble and not in the aspect of like, hey, I look good, but in the, it, being humble in the aspect of like asking people for help because that's something that I don't like doing. I don't like resting, nor do I like asking people for help. I'm a 24-year-old man, want to get a cup of coffee, I get a cup of coffee. I don't need help with that. And like, but it was the small things like that that I had learned. And, um, and, 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 and God knew that. God knew that I didn't like to rest. And even when I was quote-unquote resting, I, I was tapping my foot or whistling or singing or asked Joe Hannah and Journey. I just spent 10 days with him and always singing and whistling and, and just... I don't know how to rest is, is, is what the problem was. And so during that time, um, it was always like, okay, what's the, what's the next thing I can do? Like, okay, I want to help paint. I want to help build. I want to help minister. I want to help with the kids. I want to help with the youth. Like it was always just go, 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 just nonstop. So like I said, God knew that I wasn't resting and, and I was fine. And like, I was sleeping and I thought I was fine. And, uh, like I said, he knew that. And so he knew the only way for me to, to, for me to rest and for me to really humble myself and to, and to figure out what that was for me was he had to do something drastic. Because I'm sure he, there were several times where he tapped me on the shoulder and was like, Zach, you need to rest. Hey, man, don't be afraid to ask for help. But he knew like I was stubborn and hard-headed. And, and so he, like I said, he had to do something drastic. And unfortunately, that drastic thing <laughs> lasted for a whole entire month because hookworms decided to visit me and hookworms literally knocked me off my feet for the whole entire month. And for those of you who don't know hookworms is, it, it, I, I compare it to poison ivy times 10. They're like little parasites that crawl inside your feet, and they cause severe itching, severe pain, and severe blisters, and just yeah, the whole ugly nine yards. It, it's, it's not something that I'd wish upon anybody. And, um, and so like, I had no other option but to not walk. And because they were on the bottom of my feet and when, when I was stubborn and would try to walk to try to get me some coffee or to try to even something as simple as using the bathroom, like it would cause my feet to flare up and it would make it 10 times worse for the next two or three hours. I would be wanting to scratch my feet and, and it just, it just wasn't a pretty thing. And, um, the, the, the thing about that month was, was I was so excited to, to, to learn and grow in evangelizing because our ministry that month was to go out to the college kids at Botswana University and literally just talk to them all day long and just evangelize to them. And I, I'm, I'm not good at evangelizing. Talking to people, I have no problem with. 
but evangelizing was a whole nother, whole nother concept. And so I was excited. And I was like, Lord, like literally just use me how you want to use me. Teach me what you want to teach me. And like I said, Lord has a sense of humor sometimes. And, uh, so I grew in different ways. And, um, like I said, did three days of ministry was super excited. And once again, hookworms paid me a visit and, and, and me and my teammates, we prayed for the hookworms to go away. And so I could be out on the field with them because I was doing nothing but kind of being stuck in a ditch like you were talking about and was stuck on a couch. Like literally I would move from one couch and just for kicks and giggles, I would move to the next couch next to it. Just once I got tired of being on that couch, it was literally four feet away, but it was a new scenery. So it was a new ditch to be stuck in. So I decided to be stuck in the right ditch versus being stuck on the left ditch. And it doesn't make sense now, but at the time when I was going insane and didn't have any relationships at the time, it made sense. You know, you start doing weird things like naming volleyballs Wilson or something along those lines because I wasn't allowing people to be in my life when, when I needed them the most. I wasn't allowing for those relationships to come in because I was still trying to figure out how I can help those people even though I needed help and even though like I was not sulking, but even though like they would go out and I needed help going to the bathroom, like I, I wouldn't ask for it. And so, like I said, we prayed and we prayed and we prayed. And it was like every single time I went to the doctor, it was like things got worse. And things, and every single time things got worse, I got more frustrated. And it was like, God, I don't want to leave you. But right now, like, I feel like you've left me. Like, I feel like I'm stuck here and you're not here with me. Like, you're, you're, where are you in this time? And like I said, I knew up here that he was there still. But at the same time, I knew up here that, or I felt like up there anyways, he, he wasn't there. And because like I said, it was always getting worse. I quit hearing from him. Like I honestly didn't want to spend time in the word just because I wasn't getting anything out of it. And like I was, or at least I thought I was the, the last couple of months. And finally, the third time that we, that we got to the doctor, the doctor was like, hey, Zach, the th- things are getting worse for you. I'm gonna give you stronger medication, stronger itching medication, stronger pain medication, and we'll, we'll kind of go from there um, because I was about to leave Botswana in a week. And we, we weren't going to another African country. We were going to a completely new continent all the way to Asia. And Asia has super strict laws about allowing people in and out, like health laws. So I knew I wasn't going to be able to get in. So I was like, Lord, like, I'm seriously so frustrated. Like, I've been stuck here for, for three weeks now. And where the heck are you? Like, where's, where's this relationship you promised me? Where's, where are all these people that you promised to help me out? And like it clicked literally when I was, I was by myself, everybody else was doing ministry and like was literally on the couch, stuck in the ditch crying and, and was frustrated and was irritated. And like, that's when I felt the Lord tell me, is like, Zach, like just rest, dude. Like just stop, relax, be still. And, and, and don't like ask for help if you need it. Like there's no point of causing you more pain when you can simply say, hey, Drew, can you grab me a cup of coffee? Or, hey, Jonathan, can you help me go to the bathroom? Or, like, whatever, whatever small task it was, like I said, I was too stubborn to ask for those small tasks. So there's a lot of times, and y'all know how much I love to eat, that I wouldn't ask for food because I was too stubborn and too hard-headed to even ask. And it was just the small things like that of, like, I, it, it just, like I said, it all clicked of, of, of being humbled, down to the point of asking for those relationships and knowing that like I love helping them like I love helping all of my teammates and I love helping other people but it's like why don't you let other people help you like like Dusty said like she like 
Malachi's, or yeah, Ma, what was her name again? Danielle? Yeah, Danielle was stuck in a ditch. If she didn't ask for help, she just would have been there all night long. And I was literally on the couch, stuck, not eating, hardly drinking anything unless someone was like, hey, Zach, do you want something to eat? And then at that point, I said yes. But I, I, I didn't lower myself down to the point where it was to the, and I don't even want to say lower down because lower down seems bad. But like, that's what I had to do was like, I, I, I'm, I'm putting myself on such a high pedestal of always helping people out and always telling other people to rest and like, hey, Jonathan, if you need help, just let me know. Or hey, so-and-so, if you need help, let me know. And I, and I never return, I never let other people help me out knowing that that could help build that relationship. Like knowing that just something as simple as, and like my teammates loved and like enjoyed helping me out just as much as I helped them out. And um, like I said, it was just the Lord literally told me, just like, Zach, like I literally just want to be with you. Like I literally just want me and you to sit down and, and just be with each other. And I wasn't allowing that to happen because I thought as long, as long as I'm staying busy, like providing for everybody else, then I'm spending time, as long as I'm doing God's work, then um, I'm, I'm spending time with the Lord. But it wasn't personal time. It wasn't time for me to say, Lord, I need you right now. It wasn't time, because honest to God, I, I, I've, I never said that sentence. For the first five months of the race, or I don't think ever, like I, I, there's been maybe a few times, but like I needed the Lord, but I didn't ask for that. I needed help from, from my teammates, but I didn't ask for that. And that's what the Lord wanted me to do, was spend time with him and humble myself to the point where building those relationships will help out in tremendous ways. And from that point, I was like, I said, Lord, like, if, Lord, if that's all you wanted, if that's all that you needed me to do, then, then, that, that, then that's what I want to do. Like, I, I want to ask for help out of this, out of, out of this ditch. I want to ask for help out of, out of this crappy situation because there's going to be situations in life that you can't do on your own. And there's no point of, of, of making things worse because you want to try to do it on your own. There's no point of, of, of causing yourself stress or anything along those lines. And, and, like, and God himself set an example back in the beginning when he was creating everything. Like He took six days to create everything, and, and on the seventh day, like he rested. He didn't rest because he was tired, because God doesn't get tired, but we do. He rested to give us an example of... Hey, like it's okay to rest. It's like I created the, I created all this magnificent stuff in in six days, but on the seventh day, I wanted to rest because I want you to rest. Like I just wanted to sit back and just enjoy the things in life because that's what I want you to do. Like he himself set an example, even though he didn't have to. But he loves us to the point where he wants us to build those relationships, and he wants us to to like I said, help each other out, but also help ourselves out when when we need it, and. And so I began asking around of like, so-and-so, how do you rest? Or, or like I even texted Dusty. I was like, how do you find rest in the Lord? And like I still wasn't satisfied because I, wasn't, I was resting how other people rested. I wasn't resting on how the Lord called me to rest. I wasn't resting in the, in, in the, in the ways that I enjoyed because I was trying to do everything else that everybody else enjoyed. But I still wasn't finding like joy in it. I still wasn't finding peace or restfulness in it. And, and so I spent the next six months of the race, learning what it was like for me, Zach Lambert, to rest. For me, Zach Lambert, to, to ask for help. And, and it's something I still struggle with like to this day. Like Even since I've been home, it's like, oh, I got to do this. I got to do that. I got to do this. I got to do that. And like it's still not restful in the Lord. 
because like I said, once again, I, I keep going back. Well, Dusty said he does this, or Jesse says she does this, or, or Heather does this, or like so forth and so forth. And so, like I said, I spent the next six months in, in like, no, I'm not 100% there yet where I, where I do find rest in the Lord. There are times where it's like, oh, wow, that worked. But like, I want to expand my horizons because I don't want to just rest in the Lord in just one way. Because he doesn't want to spend time with us just in one way. He wants to spend time with us in the car or fixing a car or playing guitar or like whatever else it is. And so like I began, just like I said, just really praying hardcore about it. And really like, honestly, after that, I didn't want anybody else to go through all that nonsense that I went through of, of, of finding it out the hard way and finding it out of like, oh, you just got knocked off your feet. So I, I don't know what to tell you now. So like I began like, Every single time someone asked me to, uh, every single time someone asked me to talk about, like the biggest thing that the Lord asked me to talk about was rest, because I feel like so many people out there don't rest because it's a hustle and bustle of like, what what you need to do to earn money or like the the, the, the America nine to five is just like nonstop, nonstop. And so like I found that out that it wasn't just America that didn't know how to rest, but it was it was the rest of the world that didn't know how to rest. And so. Like I said, I just spent the next six months, every single time someone asked me to talk, it was like I was super passionate about speaking about rest because that's what helped me out. It helped me sleep at night. It helped get rid of those dumb hookworms. It helped just so much of my life was was improved because I was actually spending time with the Lord. I was actually asking people like, hey, I actually don't know how to do this. Can you help me out? And then not only was I able to build that relationship with that person who knew, but I was also able to learn something else that helped me further my life, that helped me further get out of the ditch or further like whatever else it was. And and uh, so, like I said, Dusty started preaching and it was just like, like it just, it made sense because that's what he was talking about. Like I said, Daniel could have been, could have been stuck last night and I could have been stuck not eating or not drinking or, or, or whatever else it was. And so my challenge that I want to set as Dusty finishes off whatever he's teaching, preaching about is like, like really like sit down one day and ask like, Lord, like, do I actually rest with you? Or, or do I just think I do? Do, do I, do I just try to skate by or do I actually like rest with you and, and, and spend time with you? And do I actually like humble myself just like you would, uh, in like on this earth, do I actually humble myself enough to ask for help when I don't know something? Because a lot of times if you don't know how to, how to do something and you try to do it yourself, you're either A, going to make it worse or it's going to take you six hours longer than what it should have taken. Like, I hate to say this, Joe, but last night, me and Joe were asked to put together Zaley's car. And, and me and Joe did it like three times. And Joe even went away to do it like a fourth time. But had we actually asked for help, we probably could have gotten it done the first time and been over with and, and, and not even have to. So, like, there's just so many times in life where it's like it's okay to ask for help and humble, humble yourself. And so, like I said, my challenge for you guys is, is to literally just sit down with the Lord one day and ask yourself, do I know how to rest like with you? Like, what's the proper way for me to rest? Because for some people, it might be in a deer stand. For some people, it might be working on a truck, playing guitar. There's a thousand different ways for you to rest in the Lord. But what's the right way for you? That decision is up for, for you and God's decision only. It's not up to what other people do. It's not up for, for what your best friend can do. It's literally up for what you and Jesus can do uh, of, of resting together. And, and, and like I said, just asking him of, and that's another relationship that you can build through humbling yourself of like, Jesus, I can't do this. I need help. And Jesus will either a give you the answer in a hard way if you're stubborn, or he'll direct people in your life that you need to, 
to get that help. And uh, yeah, so that's my challenge for everybody in here is, is just really find out what, what, what rest looks like for you. Awesome. Good stuff. So being in the ditch can be God making you rest, making you call out on those relationships, the relationships that you need to get you to your final destination. Maybe in the gap and in the ditch where you learn to rest with God and you learn to build those relationships, that's what you need to get to the next level. Zach did this awesome thing. Well, now what? Like, the world race is over. He's home. You see people in life, they build up whatever they're doing right now, and it's this big, awesome thing, and it was. He did this awesome thing, but now he's home. He can't stop. Now he's got to say, okay, well, what's my next destination? What's the next thing that God wants me to do? What, what's my next step in life? You can't just stop right now and just think about the world race for the rest of his life. You can. I know people like that. That they're still stuck on something that happened back in their 20s, good or bad. I have a friend whose dad played in the NFL, and he played for the Green Bay Packers. He was a, a running back. And he's told me stories about how his dad never left the, the good old days. It was always about how good life used to be when I was in the NFL, how great things were, and how, and he feels like his dad missed the rest of his life after the NFL because all he ever did was look backwards in the rearview mirror about how good things were when they had money or how good things were when he was in such great shape and when people cheered for him and he was a celebrity and how good things were. And he said as a child growing up, he felt like, well, I mean, I guess this family life that dad's living now, being our dad, it's not as good as back then because that's all he ever talks about. He, what, he was stuck. And it was a great time in life and something awesome happened and he was, but rather than using that time in his life and using it as he moved forward, he just, he got stuck. And then he wasn't the dad he needed to be for his kids because he was stuck on something that happened in the past. We got to move on. Once you finish a race, it's not just over. No, you start training for the next one. Start getting ready for the next race. Improving, learning. Slowing down, putting on your glasses when you're driving at night. Danielle didn't have her glasses on last night. <laughs> but it can be a good or a bad time. Let me read you Philippians 3.12. Philippians 3.12, Paul's talking. Not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Paul said, I'm not there yet. I'm not perfect. I'm just chasing after the thing that already grabbed a hold of me. Kind of like that illustration I did with Owen earlier. Verse 13 says, brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, 
But this one thing I do, Paul said, I know I'm not there yet, but there's one thing I do. Forgetting those things which are behind me and reaching forth unto those things which are before. That sounds simple, but it's not. Just one thing I do, forget the things that are behind me. That's kind of hard. I press toward the mark for the prize. What prize? The high calling of God in Christ Jesus. God's got a call and a purpose on your life where you'll find fulfillment and happiness. The prize of the high calling. You have a call. You have a purpose. But if you don't forget the past, you won't walk in it. If you don't figure out how to move on from the past, you won't walk in now. 1 Corinthians 9.24 This is also Paul writing. Know ye not that they which run in a race run all? Everybody runs, but one receiveth a prize. So run that you may obtain. And every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown. But we, an incorruptible, I therefore so run, not as uncertainly. So fight I not as one that beateth the air. Paul said, no, I've got a reason. I'm running, but I'm not just running to waste my time. I'm running for a reason. I'm running to win. I'm not okay with being mediocre. I'm running. I'm living my life in such a way that it's going to count. I'm not like a fighter that's just beating the air. No, I'm training for a purpose. I'm running to win. But I keep under my body and bring it into subjection. I have some discipline. Lest that by any means, when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. Paul said, no, i got some discipline. I'll keep my own body under because I don't want to be the guy that stands up here and tells all of y'all the right thing to do and that you should run to win and that you should not get stuck in ditches and I'm out there stuck in a ditch and I won't call for help. And I'm not in relationship, but I stand up here and tell you, you need to be in relationship. Paul's like, I'm not going to be that guy. I'm going to have some discipline. I'm going to run to win. But is Paul talking about salvation? Run this race? Because I've heard it talked about in that way. He's not. See, Paul's not talking about salvation. And so, what is he talking about? He doesn't want to be a castaway. He doesn't want to be unuseful in the kingdom. The kingdom of God here now alive. I don't want to be a, a castaway thrown aside. I want to be useful in God's kingdom. I want to fulfill my purpose. See, if I just stand up here and tell y'all the right thing to do and I never do it, and I spend my whole life stuck in the gap, and I never reach the finish line, and I never make it to where, then I'm a castaway or I'm worthless. I'm not useful. I'm not in relationship. So who's the opponent? If we're running in a race and he said there's going to be one winner, all of them run but one wins, and I'm thinking, well, who's the opponent? 
is it the bad people in the world? No. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. and it's not. So is it other Christians that I'm going to try to be a better Christian than them? No. Holy Spirit never brings division. So it, it's got to promote unity. So it's not me against you. There's no, there's no competition of whether I'm a better believer in God than you are. So no, it's not that. Is it the devil? A lot of people believe that. I've heard that preach that your competition is the devil, but how are you in competition with somebody that's already been defeated? Right after the cross, Jesus went down there and whooped his butt and took the keys of death, took the keys of hell, took the keys of the grave, the Bible says. So that's all the cars he had. Jesus took all the keys. If I take your keys, you ain't going nowhere. Most of you. (laughs) So the opponent's not him because he's defeated. And the second that I realized what happened on the cross and received that salvation, I, I, I have victory over him. I already have victory over him. It's not something I'm fighting for. God's not worried about getting, oh, God, oh, me. Oh, my me. I hope I can beat the devil. He already beat him. So my opponent's not the devil. And I'm like, God, who's the opponent? What is it? For me, it's time. I'm in a race against time. Am I going to make it to the finish? Or am I just going to waste time? Time is short, and the older I get, the more I realize it. And every time I look at Malachi, I really realize it. Like He's not supposed to be that old yet. I wish I could rewind some. It's going way, way too fast. I'm in a race against time. I've only got this much time and then I'll be with God and and, and all will be well. But what did I do with the minutes and the hours and the days that I had? What relationships did I build? Who did I pull out of the ditch? Did I just say stuck all the time? Was I just stuck somewhere in the middle and never winning and never really productive in the kingdom of God? Never really just always just kind of like, I'm almost there. I'm somewhere in the middle or I know God wants me to be over there. One day when I'm older, I'll get there or I'll be there or I'll do what he wants me to do. Or I'll help somebody else later when I'm older. When I get myself okay financially, then I'll start to give to help somebody else or And we can fill in all different kinds of blanks, but we're racing against time. Paul said, I press. It's urgent. I press. Like a running back pressing through the line. Toward the high calling. Use wisdom. Because time is short. You must be wise. I heard of this really cool thing. Um, husbands take notes. Uh, 
The next time your wife gets mad at you, doesn't matter what she's mad about. You can even ask her, are you mad? And she, yes. Okay, so here's what you do. You get a little cape, any kind, a little cape. You can even use a sheet if you don't have a cape. Those ones from Six Flags work perfect because they're real little, but you could like wad it up and just have it close by. What you do is you tell her, hold on a minute. You run, get the cape. You come up, you tie it around your, her neck, and then you say, now you're super mad. Huh? Now, you get a guaranteed one of two results. Either she'll smile and it'll defuse the situation, or she'll kill you. Either way, you're out of the fight. <laughs> you got to use wisdom. Y'all know my wife, you know, that's not using wisdom. Right? Time is short. Use wisdom. I'm super mad. <laughs> so use some wisdom. Don't hang around people that scare you. Ever heard somebody say, that scared me half to death? You know, if that happens twice, I'm just saying. All right. Use some wisdom. Don't get stuck. Don't get caught in the gap like a piece of pepper in a tooth. <clears throat> we Christians love to talk about the gaps, the space between. You know, the gap between where you started and where you are, or the gap between where you are and where you want to be, or, you know, the gap between the start and the finish line. But how do you handle the gap? In the business world, the definition of the gap is the amount by which a need exceeds the resources. So here's what we need or we want, but we don't have the time, the talent, the money, the lucky breaks, whatever you want to say to get there. And I'll close with these few thoughts, and I won't turn there and read it, but you guys know the story of Joseph, right? And Joseph, go read it for your homework this week. It's Genesis 37, starts in 37 and goes to like 50, right? So we have, that's a lot of homework. You don't have, uh, most of you know the story, but just a quick condensed version and so we can wrap this thing up is Joseph's a kid and he's got a bunch of brothers and Joseph's the special kid. Joseph's his dad's favorite. His dad buys him these designer clothes and this designer jacket and all the brothers are all wearing like junk and he's the special kid and God gives him a dream and they're already thinking he's special and he thinks he's better than them and dad likes him more than us. And then he comes to all his 11 older brothers and he says to them like, hey, God gave me this dream. And uh, and in the dream, like y'all are going to all bow down to me and I'm going to be a ruler in the world and I'm and all this stuff. And it's this great dream that God's given him. And so his brothers are like, what? That's a little punk. So they beat him up and they throw him in a well. And he's sitting in the bottom of the well and like, man, are you serious? Well, like, guys, hello, come on, let me out. And then the brothers pull him out of a well and they sell him to these traveling slave owners. They sell him as a slave for a super cheap price. They don't even get much money out of him. So like he's worth pretty much nothing to them. And they just lied and told their dad that he died. 
And then he goes and gets sold to this guy named Potiphar. We call him Potty. All right, so Joe goes into Potty's house, and Joe's working hard, and Joe's working good, and he's still focusing on God, and he's still focusing on the dream that God had for him, right? And, and Potty's wife says, oh, I gotta get me some Joe. I like Joe, right? And so she goes, and, and he's like, no, 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 I don't like Joe. Uh, uh, I'm Joe. I can't, I can't be with her. I, I, I love God. And he runs away. And she accuses him of doing the wrong thing and treating her bad. And so guess what? Joe gets thrown in jail. So now he's in jail. He's wrongfully accused. See, things got good at Potty's house. Things were good. He was all the way up. He had worked his way up. He had good food. He had good clothing. He was working in the house. He was over all the other servants. Things were good. Now he's back in jail. Or thrown in jail. Wrongfully accused. He didn't do it. And then these two guys come up to him in jail and say, Hey, we had a dream. And if I'm Joseph, I'm going to be like, Yeah, I had a dream too. It didn't work out too good. I'm going to keep your dream to yourself. But he didn't. He listened to their dream and he told them what the dreams meant. And he was right. And when the one of them got out, he was going back to Pharaoh because he worked for the Pharaoh who was the most powerful man in the world at that time. So Joseph said, hey, man, tell Pharaoh about me. Try to get me out of here. The guy says, okay, I'm going to tell him about you. And the guy goes back to work and forgets and doesn't tell him anything about him. Joseph sits in jail for two more years. Sitting in jail, waiting, waiting. Then finally... Pharaoh has a dream and they can't figure it out. And that guy's like, oh, hey, there was this dude in jail. He's a really cool guy, good guy, and uh, he can interpret dreams. So they go get Joseph, clean him up, give him some new clothes, bring him in front of Pharaoh. He interprets the dream. And Pharaoh says, boom, I'm going to make you the second most powerful man in the whole entire world. Straight out of the jail, the next day, he was the second most powerful man in the world at that time. All right, so that's Joseph's story. A real short version of it. But Joseph went through a lot of seasons in that quick story I told you. You know, you're going to have seasons in life, just like we have seasons in the natural. Spring, summer, fall, winter. And we can waste time praying against seasons or praying that seasons will come. Or seasons are going to come and go. If you hate being hot, hold on, it'll be cold. If you hate being cold, hold on, it's going to be hot. It's just seasons. How do I not get stuck and make it from the dream or the start to the palace. How'd Joseph do it? He stayed faithful, but I broke it down into, into five seasons. The first one was the dream. God spoke to him. God called him. You get those dreams. You get those visions. You're in worship. You hear God. You say, God, you need to be here. You need to do this. He gives you instructions. You get this dream of what you could be, how good you could be, how powerful you could be, all these 
the man you could be, the woman you could be, the mother you could be, the father you could be, the ministries you could start, the dreams. It's the dream season. It's a fun season. But then immediately after that, the second season was the bottom. He was thrown in the pit. He was in the bottom. Not knowing what was going on, feeling hated, rejected, beat up, laying in the bottom. Well, what do I do when I'm in the bottom? You all know what the bottom is. I'm sure you've been there. If you go read Genesis 37, you see when Joseph was in the bottom, what did he do when he was at the bottom? He didn't say anything. Don't speak when you're at the bottom. He made his complaints to God. Psalm 142, we won't turn there, but... Psalm 142, David's talking about, I cried out to the Lord when David was in a bad place. He was in the cave. He didn't understand what was going on or why he was being persecuted. He said, I cried out to the Lord. My soul cries out to God. And I'm not saying you hold everything in and don't have anybody you talk to, but don't just run around everybody you meet screaming and crying about how you're in the bottom and you're wrongfully accused and you shouldn't be where you're at and you shouldn't be in the bottom of this well. Joseph, Trusted God and was quiet. The third thing, the third season that he moved into, temptation. At Potiphar's house. Now, you might be thinking the temptation to sin. No. So I don't think that that's a season. I think that one gets to go with us through all the seasons. The temptation to sin or do the wrong thing, that's in all the seasons. The good one, the bad one. So, so when I say temptation as the third season, I'm talking about the temptation to settle. Because things were pretty good at Potiphar's house. He had some power. He had nice clothes. He was taken care of. Had a warm bed. Ladies liked him. He could have settled. Wouldn't have been that bad. Hey, I mean, I went from being beat up in a well. I got pulled out. Now I'm making money. I'm powerful. I get to control this guy's house. I have servants under me. I'm, I'm good. The temptation to settle, like, this is good enough. I know God said I would do more, but I, I'm okay here. I'm comfortable with this. Well, I could be better dad, but this is pretty good. It's a lot better than I was. I'm better than my dad was. However, you fill in the blank. But the temptation to settle is there in that season. Number four, when he was sitting in jail, the fourth season is the waiting. Oh, that'd be a good horror movie. The waiting. He sat in jail. He didn't do it. Like, you know, imagine how he must have felt. Like, what? I just worked my way back up. I was, I was faithful. I loved God. I didn't do the wrong thing. And now here I am sitting in jail. And then 
Finally, okay, I interpreted these guys' dreams. Okay, thank you, God. Here's my way out of the prison. And he's just waiting every day. Like, the guy said he was going to tell Pharaoh about me and get me out of here. And he's waiting, and he's waiting, and he's waiting. And two years, he sat there and waited and didn't hear anything. And he had to remain faithful in the waiting and trust God. It's easy to give up in that season. To say, I'm done. I quit. Oh, whatever. I'll just do what everybody else. Why, why should I keep being faithful to God when He's forgotten about me? We've got to learn how to let go, but not give up. Giving up is an act of despair. Letting go is an act of trust. We're called to let go, not try to control it, but we can't give up. It's easy to give up in that season of waiting. It's all about timing. Sky, my 10-year-old sitting right up here by the column, if he comes to me and says, Dad, I want to drive the car, I'm going to say, No, Sky. I'm not going to think about it. Nope. You can't drive the car. And then what if Sky says to me, Oh, gracious Father, I believe that you will let me drive the car. I'm going to say, Hmm, no. (laughs) But I've been faithful. I've been a faithful son in thine house for ten years. Yes, but the answer is still no, son. You're not ready to drive the car. You're not mature enough to drive the car. And me telling him no means that I am a good, good father. The fact that I'm telling him no. But if I'm in his shoes, as a Christian sometimes, when I'm asking God for things and God's like, no, and I'm like, but why? Man, I've been obedient. I've been here. I've been in your house for these years and years. Why can I not have this? Why can my ministry not be this? Why can I not? God's like, no. Nope. You're not ready. There are a lot of people running around mad at God because he said no. It's all in his timing. He knows best. God, I want a platform. God, I I want a spouse. God, I want children. God, I need more money. God, I want to be famous. God, you can fill in the blanks. God, I've waited so long. Why won't you give it to me? Either it's not time or you're not ready. The last one, the last season that Joseph went through was fulfillment. See, he made it to the palace and he became the second most powerful man in the world. And he saved the whole land from famine and his brothers and his dad ended up coming and he ended up saving them and they bowed down through to him just like the dream had said. And he saved all their lives and he forgave them and he ruled and things were great and they lived happily ever after. Right? But it was 15 or 20 years 
between the time that he got the dream to when he was in the palace. Imagine 20 years. That seems like a long time to wait to us. And you say, well, I don't have time. I'm running out of time. I got to make something happen. I don't have time for God to wait on send me a spouse. I'm 40 years old. My clock's ticking. Whatever. I don't have time to wait, but I want to point out the fact that it took one day to bring Joseph from the prison to the palace. There's no plan for that. There's no book or steps that can get you there. From an inmate to the second most powerful man in the world, that's impossible. Don't forget who your dad is. You might be stuck in the ditch today, and tomorrow you might be walking in the fulfillment of all that he's called you to. It doesn't take a long time with God. When you're ready, you're there. Joseph was in his 30s when he was brought into the palace. You know when he died? 110 years old. He lived, we don't know exactly, but roughly, because we don't know exactly how long time there was in there, within about five years, but roughly 75 years he lived in the palace, in the fulfillment, walking in what God called him to, in relationship with his family and his brothers. And looking back on it, that 15 or 20 years that he went through all those hard things and he was required to be faithful and required to do the right thing and just trust God, that, that seems like nothing by the end of his life looking back. After 75 years of fulfillment, how do you live in the fulfillment? Just like Paul said, you press. Don't stop pressing. Forget the past and focus on Jesus. Don't get stuck in the middle somewhere. Keep on pressing. And if you're in a hard season, it's okay. It's a season. Stay focused. And keep pressing. Stay focused on Jesus and keep on pressing. Keep on obeying because seasons will change. Keep pressing. Let's pray. God, thank you. God, thanks for speaking to us. God, thank you for Zach and his willingness to go for a year of his life and, and give it up for ministry. God, thank you for the things that you taught him and his willingness to come up here and talk to us today and to put in what he had. I see big things for him in the future and just thank you for the relationship there and for, for being connected to him. God, thank you that you can speak to us through all kind of things, through running off the road in the ditch, that you can speak to us. And give us tools that we need to make it through this crazy life. God, remind us that life is seasons. It's a chapter. It's not your whole story. God, help us not judge ourselves or other people by one chapter in the book. 
God, we love you. Thanks for loving us. Thank you that you gave each one of us a call and a purpose. In Jesus' name, amen.